Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio. I'm Tim Grady. I am the host of the show. Lou Weiss is working on other projects today, and I am meeting with Nancy LeMaster, who is the committee chair for the Institute for Supply Management's Hospital Purchasing Managers Index Report. I'm always excited to talk to Nancy because the hospitals are the first point of impact for any crisis. And as you know, we have been following COVID for quite some time. Nancy, welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Oh, thank you, Tim. Thanks for having me. So BA5 seems to be the current variant. What are the hospitals feeling and what's our PMI number looking like? Well, our, our PMI number is in the growth range. It's at 58 versus 56.9. So we saw more growth this month. In fact, our growth numbers were, were strong across the board. Business activity at 56.5, so up one and a half percent. New orders, 59.5, up 3%. So we've got you know people planning to come in. And then if you remember last month, we had kind of a surprising contraction in backlog of orders. It was 48 and we weren't quite sure, um, but as we expected that bounced back up into growth. So that came in at 53.5. So our growth numbers were all strong, but they were not driven by COVID. What we really are seeing um, across the country from our, our business panelists, their comments, is that although the, the positivity rate and the cases of COVID are up, and in some areas very high, those are not translating into hospitalizations, which is, is very good. It's where we were looking to go. You know, I think it's the combination of the vaccine and the boosters coupled with the fact that we have the antiviral drug now that people are taking when they do get COVID, but it's keeping them out of the hospital. So the growth this month was really driven by the shift into the elective procedures. Um, it wasn't universal. You saw in the comments that some areas, the growth was much slower than they expected in that transition. But in general, that transition is happening across the country. And thankfully, I think, except maybe within a, a, a few rare spots, um, that growth is not driven by COVID. So we are seeming to get the COVID cases out of the hospital and hopefully keeping them out now. I got the sense over the last month or so that the supply chain managers in the hospitals are trying to balance their inventory. They're feeling a little more confident of products coming in, pharmaceuticals coming in, and they're trying to let where they're, they have too much, they're trying to let that burn off a little. Is that what your respondents are experiencing? Yeah, so if you looked at the um, inventory number, you know, at 46.5, it was contracting against this month. So they're, they're not only are they kind of trying to stop building inventory, which is consistent with the inventory sentiment at 60.5 of being too high, so they are very much trying to right size. The challenge is if you looked at that supplier delivery number, it's still at 62. I think it's 31 months we've had of supplier delivery, you know, slowing. Um, and in the comments, there's still a lot of frustration with a lot of product substitutions, but they've moved. It's, it's not in the PPE area, and that's where they're really trying to reduce inventory. It's now in getting the supplies they need for those elective procedures. So you and I talked about um, the horrible contrast media shortage. That's, that's the drug they use when they do CT scans. 
about half of that product comes out of Shanghai. And of course, with their shutdown, you know, we've seen a really big ripple effect of that to the point where hospitals have had to go into conservation mode and in some cases use MRI scans instead of CT scans. Um, so there's different areas. And, and I think that um, though the supply chain professionals are really working hard to minimize the amount of inventory they, they you know, put into place. There's a lot of financial pressure on them, but they are, again, probably selectively building inventory based on what they, they are projecting that elective volume is going to be. Uh, is it particularly challenging to project elective procedures or uh, is there enough historical pattern that they can get really close? You know, it, it depends a little bit on the sophistication of the system. Um, but, you know, in theory, quote, quote, you know, great theories, um, electives are scheduled, right? So if you're working kind of closely with your operating room and your cath lab, you know, you're able to then start to see, you know, not maybe, you know, six months in advance, but six weeks in advance, two months in advance, where they see those electives increasing. So I think one of the things that has happened, the, the silver linings we're always looking for in the pandemic has been increased communication between the clinical departments and the supply chain group and more focus on demand planning and, and really trying to get ahead of this. So they're not, it's not a knee jerk response. They're starting to say, okay, a, a great example would be that conversation with the radiology department to say, are you guys looking to shift to more MRIs? Do I need the, the contrast agent for MRIs is different than CTs. Do I need to be buying more of that in this interim? Those conversations where probably pre-pandemic didn't happen until there was more of a crisis, like, you know, oh, I need you to, you know, we need, we need this tomorrow to better planning is what we're seeing and what we're hearing. What kind of demand is COVID at this point putting on hospitals, Nancy? I'm sorry, is COVID putting on them? Yeah. Well, you know, again, I think it varies. You're still seeing patients with COVID in the hospitals, in the ICUs. I mean, that's still, that it's not zero. But what I'm hearing from my colleagues is that it's, it's a more manageable level so that they, there is room for these electives to come in. Um, and again, you might have a situation where, you know, hospital systems are able to sort of uh, focus that COVID volume in one area versus have it spread out in all of their hospitals. One area that's so critically important in the hospital industry is employment, staffing. We have talked about it. It has been under incredible strain, uh, the clinicians all the way down to the uh, cleaning staff have been under incredible pressure because obviously everybody's, it's almost like working in a war zone and nobody wants to be right on the very front lines because that's a terrifying place to be. Uh, how are they doing at the moment? So um, kind of unlike the manufacturing and service index, employment stayed in the growth mode at 54 versus 54.5. It didn't go into contraction, but from the comments, you know that it, it's still somewhat of a struggle. And in fact, I had um, 
I had breakfast with a CFO from a healthcare system this morning, uh, a large system, and indicated that labor rates have gone up 10% in the past year. Well, unlike some, you know, parts of the economy, hospitals can't just raise their rates. You know, over half of their revenue comes from the government through Medicare, Medicaid, and in many cases, their managed co care contracts are fixed. So, I mean, there's a huge amount of pressure on, on the margins right now because of not just the labor costs, but the supply costs. And, and this is really how this is going to play out. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if we're going to have to, if we're going to see contractions in non-clinical areas to help offset the cost where we're going to see them cutting back on staff in certain areas. Um, you know, we're going to have to see, but it, it's, a, there's a lot of cross, a lot of pressure on the hospital margins right now. Sounds like that. I hadn't uh, thought of the fact that their managed care contracts are fixed typically for a year, sometimes longer. And so they're locked into what they can charge. And we know that Medicare and Medi-Cal and Medicaid all have their ceilings on what they'll pay for a procedure. Right. So that has got to put incredible strain on the bottom line for hospitals. Yeah. Uh, are, are you hearing that they're really struggling or is it just tight? No, no, I think it, it's very real. I mean, if you look at the Kaufman Hall that studies the financials, their reports, you know, they're talking about, um, you know, multiple months now that they've seen the majority of hospitals in, in the negative margin territory. So, um, you know, I think that, um, you know, we're waiting to see CMS did come out that they regulate payment for Medicare um, with a, a higher uh, percent increase, but it's nowhere near what inflation is. So, um, you know, something to be watching. I do think, you know, some of the silver linings again um, with the volume of COVID patients going back down, hospitals that were having to employ the very, very expensive traveling nurses, they're starting to be able to cut back on that. Um, and I did do some research on one of our favorite topics about what's going on with nurses and physicians being able to cross state lines. Ah. And I found out some good news. More has been going on that I was initially aware of. What I learned was that, um, you know, sometimes, what do they say? You know, necessity is the mother of invention, right? Um, instead of waiting for the government to do something, um, there have been a couple of, uh, an organization that's been created to develop voluntary uh, sharing. So basically we have what's called the Interstate Medical Licensure Compact and states can choose to participate. And if they participate on the physician one, it, it's still, every physician has to be licensed in each state. They still have to go through that process, but they've created an expedited process and a single form. So instead of each state having its own form, the states that agree to participate accept a single form. And I found out that 34 states and the District of Columbia have now signed on to this interstate physician compact to make it easier for physicians to get licensed in other states. And the nursing compact is even better. So on the nursing licensure compact, what that says is if a nurse is licensed in one state, 
it assigns onto this compact, then they can automatically be licensed in another. So they don't even have to go through the licensure prospect. And 39 states have signed on to that. So we're seeing that the states, you know, not necessarily the state I live in, but other states are working together and realizing this isn't everybody's best interest. Um, the one area where we're not seeing this happen and where when we, we left the kind of emergency declaration um, phase has been hurt is pharmacists. Pharmacists still have no compact. They, they have to go through the full licensing process in each state. Um, and as we know, you know, getting pharmacists is, is difficult. Six years of training to become a pharmacist um, and then getting of those that become pharmacists, those that want to work in hospitals versus at Walgreens or CVS, you know, is a very small subset. So there is a group actively trying to create something like either the medical compact where you have um, uh, expedited licensure or the nursing where they actually recognize licensure of another state to streamline. But, you know, I think when we talk about employment, these are some things that can help um, ease some of the burden in the clinical end. Now, it doesn't get at your housekeepers and your food service workers, et cetera, but at least in our, in our most um, clinical end and where you can argue physicians and pharmacy, you know, and even, you know, nurses that take more longer to train and create that labor pool. So, so that's some good news that I can share that we learned since our last talk. That's really exciting news. I'm glad to hear that that is taking place. And I'm not surprised that it is either a nonprofit or private enterprise that has initiated it to make it happen between the states. That's terrific. I really appreciate you looking into that, reporting it to our listeners and viewers, Nancy. Thank you. Not a problem. So, you know, so, on the supply side of the month for, for June, we talked about the inventory. You know, I think consistent with what you heard in the manufacturer or the service, supplier deliveries are still slow. Um, in fact, I looked 31 months, they've been slowing and various slowing faster, slowing slower, but you know, the number's not good. Um, and, you know, 32 months of price increases. Um, you know, we saw still in the growth range, we saw a big jump in pharmacy again this month, up to 67 from 63. And if you remember, you know, probably three or four months ago, that number was down in the 53s. I, I think some of that is probably due to the shift in more electives where you're seeing, you know, an uptick in demand for anesthesia gases, contrast medias, some of those things that have been in short supply. Um, but overall, you know, uh, prices still at 76, uh, 70, down slightly from 78.5. So, you know, a lot of pricing pressure. Um, as you said, I think people are trying harder to manage that inventory. So they may be building in a few areas where they anticipate problems, um, but overall trying to hold that down. Um, and, and we'll see, but I, th I think that, um, that's kind of the direction we'll see in the next couple months, burning off of PPE, judiciously increasing some of the areas where we believe there's going to be continued ongoing shortages based on often, right, the, the basic um, raw materials generally driving that. 
Yes, I'm sure that in addition to wage increases, there's increases across the board in all supplies to hospitals like there is in everything else. Nancy, what's happening with monkeypox? Are any of your respondents commenting on it or alarmed by it? You know, it's not hitting the radar yet at the hospital level. You know, what I've read about it, I'm hearing about it, is there is a, an increased focus in getting the vaccines out, especially to community health um, clinics, to making physician offices aware, um, encouraging people who are at high risk for developing it, who've traveled. Um, we, we know, again, it's, a, it's not casually uh, communicated or transmitted. It's gotta be through bodily fluids. Um, trying to reach some of those populations and, and really focusing on um, getting them inoculated, getting the, getting the vaccines out there, getting those in, in place. But I'm, I'm not hearing anything about that trans, you know, making its way into the hospital-based system yet. Okay, so this is this is unlike COVID. This is not an airborne virus. No, no, that's good. It is, and right now they believe that the vaccines that they have are are looking pretty effective. Although I've read that it has the virus has mutated, um, and so you know, again, the World Health Organization is keeping a pretty close eye on it, um, and hopefully, will follow their lead and make you know things available and try and get. You know, it's that fine line, right? You don't want to panic people that aren't at risk, but you want to communicate with those who are and get them the preventative uh, help that they, they might need to prevent them from, from getting this disease. Nancy, are your respondents feeling a little more comfortable in their operations? We've talked about a lot of challenges that they have. Uh, what, what are the positives for them? Yeah, you know, it was it was interesting. I was re doing the initial release of the re this report this morning, and one of the questions I got was, you know, the numbers look better, but the comments sound pretty frantic. Um, and there was some truth to that. A lot of people like, you know, it's just a crazy mess out there. And, you know, my, my response to it was, I, I think that at the logical level of thinking, people are kind of saying, okay, um, yes, we think things are, you know, we're shifting to the electives. Those are a little bit more predictable. We're working to control our inventories. But I think at the emotional level, you know, we're talking, like I said, 31 months of delivery challenges, um, you know, ongoing challenge of hiring those supply techs, those those clinical, not the clinical, those those frontline workers, um, making sure you can retain your your purchasing agents and your analytics team. And what I felt was just people are really tired. You know, they've gotten better at this. They logically, and you see it in the numbers, it's getting better. But in the comments, you really felt the frustration and the weariness of what what next. You know, if we if we fix contrast media, then what? Um, and you know, I think that's a that's a normal normal feeling, right? I, I think it was really telling. Last month we talked about the the comment where a couple of the systems were like, we're really getting better at troubleshooting of finding the subs and the subs for the subs, and we're we're protecting the clinical people from the disruption. 
but that doesn't make it any easier on the supply chain people, right? They're working hard and harder to be able to, to balance all the plates and get the right thing. So I, that's what I picked up, a little sense of weariness, like really when? Um, but you know, they're resilient people. We see it over and over, right? Kind of dig back in, they figure out how to make it happen and we keep taking care of patients. Yes, it really is quite remarkable. We spoke with Tom Derry, who is the CEO of ISM at the conference. And I asked him, what is the supply chain manager feeling like now? And he said, really, it's been two years of working at Mach 2 24-7 with your hair on fire. Yeah. It has been a real grind. So I, I agree with you that we're seeing some exhaustion and now we're kind of looking for some relief and that appears to be on the horizon. Not quite fully here yet, but it's been a pretty good summer for most and we hope by the fall and the holiday season, it's really uplifting. Nancy, I really appreciate the time you take to share with us what's going on in the hospital arena. As I said, that is the front lines of healthcare for this country, and we appreciate getting your update. Thank you, Tim. Thank you for having me. Always appreciate Nancy Lamaster, who is the committee chair for the Institute for Supply Management's Hospital Report on Business. And while you're looking for that information, you'll find it at ismworld.org. And check us out at jacketmediaco.com and all of the podcasts that we produce there. And as always, thank you for joining us on this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.